Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors. They're manufactured in upstate New York. They make golden acrylics, Williamsburg oils, and most recently, core watercolors. It's an employee-owned company, and they're committed to producing the highest quality paints. They also have a history of community involvement. I'm working on a new large painting right now in the studio, and I'm using golden gesso and golden matte medium and golden acrylic paints, and I really swear by it. You can find out more information about Golden Artist Colors by calling 800-959-6543 or visiting them online at goldenpaints.com. Sound Vision is also supported by Topo Designs. Topo, based in Denver, Colorado, makes incredibly strong and durable bags that I use to protect and carry my podcast equipment when I visit people's studios and the galleries each week. Topo is committed to creating quality bags and clothing that stand the test of time, and you can check out their products at topodesigns.com. Allison Janae Hamilton is an artist born in Kentucky, raised in Florida, and on her family's farm in western Tennessee. She's exhibited at museums and institutions such as the Museum of Modern Art, Storm King Art Center, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery, the Jewish Museum, Atlanta Contemporary, Tacoma Art Museum, the Brighton Photo Biennial, and the Istanbul Design Biennial. Allison has been awarded artist residencies at the Studio Museum of New Harlem, Recess in New York, the Foundation Botan in Spain, and the Whitney Museum of American Art Independent Study Program in New York. She's a 2018 Naiska Naifa Artist Fellow, and she received her PhD in American Studies at New York University, and she got her MFA in Visual Arts at Columbia University. Her artwork has appeared in publications such as Art in America, Transition Magazine, Women in Performance, Art à Limite, Oxford American, Studio Magazine, Esquire Magazine, The New York Times, Artsy, Art Forum, and many others. Her first solo museum exhibition, Allison Janae Hamilton, Pitch, is currently on view at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art through March 2019. I met up with Allison in her Chelsea studio to talk about her days growing up in the South, farm life, taking photos, fashion, culture, P-Funk, and a lot more. Here's our conversation. Great. So, can we jump right into, let's talk about like where you grew up and then music too, because it seems like I've been reading a little bit about you and it seems like music was a big part of your coming up maybe yeah absolutely so i was born in lexington kentucky Mm -hmm. um, but i was raised mostly in florida Mm -hmm. and um a little bit of south florida and north florida both um so most recently my family uh, when i was a teenager moved all to uh, north florida and that's where they still are Mm -hmm. um in terms of music i mean yeah music was a huge part of my upbringing i grew up kind of in the traditional southern black church so gospel music and you know, that whole, um, you know, just kind of type of um, sound was such a key part of my childhood. And then with that, you know, you have blues, rock and roll, um, you know, all of that is kind of an offshoot or kind of part of that um, same type of musical progression. So all of that was really huge um, for me. From an early age, right? Yeah, from a really early age. And every one of my family sings and um, yeah, it just was something that was kind of ubiquitous or just kind of all, always there, always around, um, yeah. for sure. Well, you mentioned earlier that your dad was, his profession was sports-related, yeah. and that, I imagine, is why you moved around. Yeah, exactly. So my family roots are from the Carolinas, which is my dad's side. The Hamiltons are Carolinians. And then my mom um, is from rural western Tennessee, and that's mm-hmm. where our family farm is. That's where my whole maternal side of the family is from, and that's where I spent tons and tons of time as a child, um, pretty much every summer as a kid, um, which was, let's see, around August is corn, you mm-hmm. know, and fall is cotton, and uh, right. spring is beans. And so our main 
crop cash crops were cotton and soybean mm-hmm. um so yeah we would always go to help with every major kind of harvest season and planting sometimes so yeah. i was there several times throughout the year um and definitely extended time during the summers so even though i grew up mostly in florida tennessee is definitely home too in the carolinas in a way but more tennessee because of the land right um, my dad's side of the family they grew up um uh sharecropping and my mom's side they own the farm so mm-hmm. we kind of it was the land was more of a family kind of it was more of a family affair because all the cousins would come from wherever they were and kind of um come back to kind of help um with whatever season was going on so definitely tennessee but um um and florida but then yeah so where i grew up as a kid was pretty much dictated by um my dad's job which was yeah in sports yeah and did he come to coaching by being a good player himself yeah he played he played in college um well high, high school and then he went to gaston community college mm-hmm. in gastonia north carolina and then from there uh moved on to university of tennessee at martin where my parents met mm-hmm. uh they got married um pretty much right away yeah. um and then eventually um he coached at uk university of kentucky and mm-hmm. that's why i was born in kentucky but i was my my brother who's uh 15 years older than me pretty much grew up in Kentucky but we moved when I was two so I grew up mostly in Florida oh, 15 yeah. years older yeah yeah did you I guess you didn't he wasn't around too too long when you were a kid right? when I was in kindergarten he was in college yeah oh. um yeah but I mean are you close now oh for sure yeah. he's like my best buddy it might now. be easier right than if you're like two years apart yeah <laughs> right like no, what do you fight over when one's five and right. one's like uh 23 right is it no five and uh 20-ish, yeah, Yeah. or 8 and 23, yeah, so there's, what do you fight over? Nothing, so. (laughs) Is he in the creative field? He is, yeah, Um, he and I are the two creatives really out of the family, Um, he's a musician. Oh, nice, Yeah. yeah. what does he play? A little bit of everything, well, his main instrument is kind of piano, keyboard, but Mm -hmm. he's really into the production side as well, Um, anything from house to electronic, Um, he's talked about getting into film scoring and things of, of that nature, but he kind of marries the kind of tech and studio side of things with the instrumentation. So he's super, super talented. Yeah. So yeah, we bond over that. Um, although my, my uncle, my mom's brother, um, he uh, was a photographer for the Chicago Sun-Times. So he's okay. a photojournalist. Um, he went to art school for a little bit, um, but he left because he, he and my aunt, his wife, um, started a, a family. and. Yeah. Um, it was just um, at that time I think it was not sustainable for him to do all of it right. you know manage it all at once so then he went more to photojournalism yeah yeah see I'm a firm believer that because um, I play soccer and mm-hmm. I coach soccer that mm-hmm. coaching or, or just playing the sport there's a lot of creativity involved and the best players are the ones who can think creatively that's interesting. on the field or on the court do you think the creative genes came from both sides or your dad's because it's usually in there somewhere even if you're parents don't do it professionally you can tell like oh that person's creative yeah in there somewhere I mean the funny thing is my grandma my mom's mother who is uh let's see she was born in 1930 so she's 88 yeah she Mm -hmm. just turned 88 um she just told us the other other day that she um had always wanted to be an interior designer which is so wild because that side of the family it's you know it's pretty much all farmers and my grandma and, and her sister she's one of um, 10 siblings and you know everyone in her sibling unit was pretty much a farmer or worked as domestic workers and so to, to learn that you know at 88 that she'd had this dream of being an interior designer and that really only came out because um, my mom has been up in Tennessee a lot this summer because they're installing a, a tornado shelter for her uh-huh. um, because my um, uncle recently passed away and he was the last living relative on the farm so now she's kind of on the farm by herself so we wanted to make sure she had um a shelter that was easy access, you right. know, since she's on the land by herself. So we were kind of building the shelter and kind of joking around about decorating it and mm-hmm. kind of making it kind of a little homey. And and then she kind of said, oh, well, that's actually something I always wanted to do. So I don't know, it could come from her side. But yeah. in terms of sports, you know, I think I think that's really interesting um, what you said about um, athletes and creativity. But I think it also could go the other way around because I think, um, you know, with art, you have to also have that discipline and oh, yeah. and, and working on the, your skills over and over and over too. Yep. And, you know, so maybe it does kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Yeah, I think if you're going to be good at anything, you've <laughs> got to put in the hours and yeah. be dedicated. And, yeah. And yeah, I guess art, it's funny because growing up a lot of times the dynamic is in school is just the art crowd or the artsy, or, you mm-hmm. know, creative people. And then there's the jocks and, right. you know, they, they don't meet or right. something, but it's actually you know, to be successful at, at being creative, you have to 
mm-hmm. really like think of it like practice like you just mm-hmm. constantly and i think mm-hmm. being in shape or being fit or like you know right that helps yeah discipline it <laughs> yeah. really helps me in my art practice because i manage different media you know i'm doing photography i'm doing sculpture i'm doing installation i'm doing sound and video so for me um kind of a rigor in the way i organize my week mm-hmm. um and kind of that discipline that maybe maybe part of that came from watching the kind of sports kind of athletic yeah. lifestyle maybe some of that has helped me just kind of the, the way i structure my practice yeah. um and kind of am able to i mean everyone is different but for me and working across different media i kind of have to compartmentalize it you know right. and kind of figure out okay what's each day going to mean and what's each day going to be about so yeah maybe some of that rigor of <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. that's kind of coming into play in some ways well so you had the framework yeah set up right. for you to be creative but how did it happen like mm. was it a grade school you loved making art or was mm-hmm. it a high school teacher how did you sort of pick mm-hmm. that path yeah um middle school really yeah. yeah um so for middle school i went to um i had a choice of of which kind of neighborhood public schools to go to and i really wanted to go to the arts school so there's um all these different majors you could pick like you yeah. know 12 year olds with a major but um <laughs> you could do music or theater or um I think they did have a studio art program, but I chose photography because uh-huh. I'd always kind of had this interest in it. And um, well, uncle, your uncle, yeah, my right. uncle. I think that you know probably came from there. Yeah. And so yeah, it was really a. I mean, it's so strange to call it a turning point as I'm like 12 or 13, <laughs> but I think it was because you know it was traditional black and white darkroom photography, yeah. and the teacher, um, she really didn't treat us like middle school kids she really you know because photography is photography and once you get the darkroom kind of stuff down it is what it is you know no matter what age you are no matter you know anything so once you get the process that's just that's what it is so um yeah i started off with 35 millimeter black and white photography and again going home to the farm i would do a lot of my assignments um when we'd visit tennessee so um and I was always, out of my first cousins, I'm the youngest cousin, so mm-hmm. I was always kind of, um, I'd get kind of left behind, like if, when everyone else was working, I kind of, you know, when I was really small, didn't have to do as much as everyone else. And You're tagging along. Yeah, tagging, yeah, kind of tagging along, but even when I got, I got to middle school age, which I probably could have been doing more, they kind of still had this habit of right. me kind of hanging back, so that gave me the opportunity to kind of shoot a lot and kind of just... Um, take my camera and kind of go around the farm and I would um, photograph the old barns and um, we had an old smokehouse and um, all kinds of things like that. And I'm really glad that I did because a lot of those structures we don't have anymore, you know? So, um, but even in that early age, I think I'd begun to see, maybe they had torn down one of the buildings or something like that. And I think they kind of clicked that, you know, this stuff isn't going to be around forever. And um, when I would come back to Florida and, realized that all my friends didn't have like these family farms, yeah. you know, and I realized that it was something unique, you yeah. know, and so there was that impulse, that little seed was was kind of planted at that age. And so really from age 12 and onward, whenever I'd go to the farm, I'd, I'd just kind of shoot. Um, and I still have all those old negatives. And um, yeah, so yeah, that was probably the pivotal kind of um, moment where I married photography with um, a really keen interest in landscape. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for too, sure. because you do so much more now than just photography. Right. But I guess maybe what was um, kind of like fused together at that point was this realization of your personal narrative connected to landscape through mm-hmm. photography. And it feels like a lot of your current work is about personal narrative through other materials and objects, but it's that kind of linking those two things together. For sure. It's like it's a deeper mm-hmm. a deeper expression than just taking a picture. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah, because now it's translated more into... Um, landscape and the material the materials and kind of that the actual physical matter of land being yeah. kind of this character or this storyteller uh in this long kind of saga of of um american history and the history of the american south but really um all over i mean you know i'm i kind of look at it from my very very specific personal narrative but yeah. really once you kind of boil it down through that specificity you can really see how um 
these same kind of patterns of landscape and power and politics and the dynamics, climate, and how these these things are kind of coming into play in interesting patterns all over the world. Right. So the more I drill down into the own specificity of my life and my family's kind of um, story, the more I find links um, with places all over. Yeah. But yeah, it started off with that photography kind of being the way to make that connection, and then now it's definitely sculptural, mm -hmm. um, probably just as much as photography. Yeah. I would say 50-50 image and object is really, um, you know, these kind of two hands working together. Um, well, what happened in high school? Did it hmm. solidify, or did, you, did it deepen the sort of investigation and creativity, or was it just kind of, you were doing that and doing other things too? You know, I never really knew that art, photography or art in general can be anything other than a hobby mm -hmm. you know even though i did have my uncle who was a, a photojournalist but like kind of the um you know more um at the time what maybe i considered was experimental or what i considered um at, at that young age to be kind of maybe um a, you know more of a kind of a creative type of approach not that photojournalism isn't but or can't be but um i think i had a and a real idea of a separation between yeah. that. I think um, I knew I wasn't really, I was actually uh, in high school um, on the journalism, uh, like in the journalism class, the school, oh, yeah. the school newspaper. Uh -huh. And I was the photographer. I just, I'm just remembering this just now. Yeah. I was, <laughs> staff, the, I was, the, yeah, I was a staff photographer <laughs> for the, um, my, uh, yeah, high school newspaper, um, which probably was my way of trying to figure out how photography could be, part of my life going forward yeah. um but um then i just realized you know it, the journalism um kind of uh, thing wasn't in me you know yeah. it, um, it wasn't for me and then so after that i kind of put put it down for a while and i didn't you know put art and you know photography kind of to the side and kind of relegated it to that yeah area of being being just kind of something that's not not something real you right. know something that's just you know to document my family or something to kind of do but not something that could really take me anywhere because yeah. I just didn't have an awareness of that. Right. And what was the, um, at the same time, what's the music situation in high school? In high school, music. Are you seeing oh, any live music at this point? Is it mostly, you know, um, just a lot taking of, in pop culture? Or stuff, you know? Taking in pop culture as a kid in the 90s, you know, and then, I mean. Oh, that's a good decade. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Alanis Morissette and, yeah, I was one of the kids with the Jinko jeans and the, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, church, I was also really, um, at that time, that was a huge part of my world was, you know, going to choir practice, going to, you know, all these different things like, you know, the black church, you're kind of, I mean, you're there several times a week if you're yeah. involved. And so that, that music was really just, I think at that age, um, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, Elena Samora said, and then like Fred Hampton, <laughs> and like you know, some Phoebe and CC Winans on one on the other um, end. So, yeah, that was a really big. And then my brother's music. You know, my brother at the time of me being, you know, elementary, middle. Um, yeah, I mean, he had, he stayed at home. You know, he stayed in Florida for college, so he would have his. He had a music studio in our house mm -hmm. off the garage, so he would have his friends come over and they'd kind of um, do their recording sessions. That's so cool. I would always kind of be like listening at the door. Yeah, <laughs> you know? um, so that was also part of kind of the, I guess, soundscape of growing up as yeah, well. Yeah, and the 90s had such distinct and really interesting, mm -hmm. like you had grunge, you had like alternative, mm -hmm. you had hip hop. And, like mm -hmm. and in Florida, we had a big, was good. in Florida we had a big house scene that a lot of people yeah. don't house was talk about right. it. Yeah, right. my, bro my brother was really involved in that scene, like the kind of Miami, Florida kind of house music. It was like um, deep house, scene. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like at the same time, you had like Chicago footwork mm -hmm. and, and that stuff going on in mm -hmm. Chicago was different than Completely than different. Florida. And then you had Baltimore Club and you had... Um, yeah, I mean, everything is all fascinating. But yeah, we had our own thing in Florida that yeah, yeah. people don't really um, kind of talk about when they when they talk about house. But yeah. I think a lot of people felt like Florida, that kind of electronic scene in Florida was just like Florida club music. Yeah, clubby, but yeah, there was there is more to it than that. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, because yeah, if it's sunny, 
and it's club music it's like you cast it off but yeah. in chicago where it's freezing yeah it just feels more right. like, like people gave it more mm-hmm. credit as being like a introspective thing right or yeah but right. yeah like they were kind of i mean there's some great stuff from chicago oh my god of course and i have you know being a tennessee family you know a lot of tennessee family you know great migration have branches that go to flint and chicago so yeah. in my family we do we have both of those um so yeah i definitely have my chicago cousins that right, always right. told me their house music is better than our house music <laughs> um but you know i i love it all so. yeah no that's good stuff so then college happens right college happens yeah how did it what was the choice and what were you thinking as far as like what um, you're gonna do what i was gonna do yeah i mean because that's the time where it's like okay now it's really time to think about this so yeah. or they force it you know yeah. it's like you're young like college students are young and they tell you the major in something and a lot of times you're like i don't yeah. know what to do yet but yeah. you have to pick a major absolutely and they tell you to major in something whether that's kind of your guidance counselors or professors or maybe right. parents or even though my parents were pretty laissez-faire when it came, came to things like that but the suggestion is kind of like oh you're good at this so you should major in that and right, right. i was always as a kid like kind of a leader and i kind of had like a um you know kind of a driven type personality so you should go into business right so yeah. i i majored in business thinking that i would maybe um run a record label actually oh, really? or i minored in, i minored in music for a while um yeah i thought that that's what i was going to do i knew i wanted to I was just trying to get closer and closer to the creative field in any way. Right. I knew at the time that I could. And yeah. I had I had never been to a contemporary art museum. I had never really, you know, I had no um, concept of, hey, you could be a novelist or a filmmaker or a, or a visual artist yeah. or a work in theater. Like, I, I just didn't have that mindset at the time. So, yeah, business was my way of saying, okay, maybe I can run you know um like a creative magazine or Mm -hmm. a record label or something like that so that's what i did and then halfway through when i my junior year i learned that we had this incredible fashion uh program at my school we had a, a fashion an apparel design and a fashion merchandising program um and so then I kicked kicked off my music minor and I took on a double major mm-hmm. of uh, fashion merchandising. And I had this one professor, um, Mr. Mack, and he really, I don't know why, but he really wanted me to come to New York for our final internship. Mm-hmm. So the last semester, you have to do an internship away. And they really want you to, wanted you to do it not in your hometown um, and just not somewhere um, where you thought you might end up. Right. You know, They wanted you to kind of really branch out. And I said, well... I'll never live in New York. <laughs> like I'll, I'll never live in New York City. I'm from the South. I mean, where do they even go to the movies? Where's the bowling alley? Like, where's the grocery store in New York? I'll where's never, the farm? Where's the yeah? Right, yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'll 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 spend two months in New York yeah. or two or three months, whatever the semester length was. And yeah, I've been here for 12 years. Oh, man. So yeah, but when I when I moved to New York, I did an internship in fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for BCBG Max Azaria. Oh really? And I got, what were you? What did they have interns doing? Um, so I was in. I was part of the sales team. Yeah. So when buyers from, for example, like Bloomingdale's right. or wherever, or even small, like more mom and pop specialty yeah. stores, they would come to the New York showroom to purchase the line for their yeah. um, their stores. Um, so that's what I did. I was an intern and then I got, um, then I got hired. Um, so I graduated, um, in December from undergrad because that extra internship had to kind of hang off that last semester. And then I got hired there in January. And so, um, I remember I got, it was like a Monday I was, um, in Tallahassee and I had gotten a phone call that they, because I'd come back for the holidays, you know, and for graduation and in the holidays. And um, then I'd gotten the call that they wanted to hire me. And I think they wanted me to be at work that following Monday. Yeah, so like I, yesterday. Yeah, like, right. They want you starting Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. So I called my mom. I said, I'm moving to New York. And they're like, what? You know, so, wow. and then I've been here ever since. Imagine so, if he never recommended never that internship. never said that. I'd never said that. And, you know, even going, yeah, I mean, it's just so funny the way that life works out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even, you know, I had spent my 11th grade year of high school, just the 11th grade semester, actually in the D.C. area because mm-hmm. my dad had gotten a job up there. He left after a year and we moved back to Florida. But because I had, you know, 16-year-old ripped away from her friends, right. and da, 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 it's like the trauma of that. I was like, okay, I'm going to Florida um, schools only for college. So I'm, I'm going to only apply to Florida schools, mm-hmm. you know, because before that I thought I would go away to college. But after having had to be away during my junior year of high school away from my friends and yada yada then i'm like okay i'm going back to florida so you know i you know it's even by chance that i ended up in that program yeah. too and then that, that professor um really thought that i would um get something out of being in new york yeah. so yeah it's just you know life is part 
it's part partly the magic of those kind of things the random the random yeah that kind of stuff um and then also part of your own kind of working and you know but well you're here with a fashion job yeah i'm here with a fashion job how does that translate to where we are now so that translates because so then i spent two years in fashion and it was like fashion fashion like you know going to new york fashion new york fashion week and you know dealing um, with buyers dealing with buyers yeah yeah, and i would i would fly to they'd fly me to atlanta market i would go down to atlanta because I connected really well with the Southern <laughs> customer, the Southern buyer. So right. the specialty store. So say you have a mom and pop store in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. They're not going to fly all the way to the New York showroom, but they'll go a couple times a year to the Atlanta market. So you didn't go to Vegas? I didn't, didn't I didn't go to the Vegas one, no. Right. Um, and I went to the New York market because um, not only we did we have the showroom, but there's also a market at yeah. the Javits, you know. Right. Um, I would do that one and I would do Atlanta because yeah. they would send me to, to um, work with the Southern customers because right. they... they I connected well with them. That so. must have been fun to at least get back to the South. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun because um, they would always ask me the same questions that I had about New York. Like, where is the grocery oh, right. store? <laughs> like, where <are> you? <laughs> I'd be like, I know, but I found it. Um, so, yeah, so I was doing that. And then I realized after a couple of years, you know, the business of fashion, that's not really for me. Again, mm-hmm. what it is is the visual, the creativity, the, the you know, I loved like the fashion week part of it because that's the kind of the yeah. kind of out there outrageous the stuff the magic yeah. that, that comes with it um and then so i and then i also you know i, I had this passion for history and african-american history and history mm-hmm. of the south and so i decided to go back to school um for my master's my ma mm-hmm. and i went to columbia in the african-american studies department mm-hmm. while i was still um working full-time at bcbg because i wanted to to study um, historic costume, and I wanted to study um, visual culture, right. um, and so that was again my way of trying to get back to you know to creativity in a way. But um, at the time, it was through scholarship, so yeah. I did that, um, and then I left BCBG. I was kind of in school more full time, but then also on the side, I did costume for off Broadway plays. So I so you're starting to create. I'm starting again. to create yeah. again for the first time, and um, although in college, I you know I I did like a I would do the step show um costumes for like my sorority step show and things like that I would make everyone's costumes so I I did little things here and there but again it was always off to the side yeah so now I'm at the point where okay I'm starting to see how it can work professionally so now I'm at Columbia doing African-American studies and I'm working with um theater and doing costume and um things like that and then at the same token I'm doing kind of sculptural kind of things with costumes as kind of art pieces Mm -hmm. and then um, while I was at Columbia, a friend of mine, like in the public health department, had a. They just wanted to do this art show at like a coffee house, a coffee mm-hmm. shop, to raise money for some something that they were doing um, in the public health, maybe a trip or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. And she asked me, would I show some of my photographs? And I got. I had never, you know, I hadn't taken photographs in years, yeah. made photographs in years. So I showed those black and white photographs oh, that wow. I made when I was twelve and thirteen years old. <laughs> Um, and, I, so you're, I, and you're not thinking too much of it, right? You're I'm not just thinking like, oh, too much of it. I'll show these, yeah. you know. And so I dug them all back out. I looked at them for the first time in years. I scanned them and kind of re-edited, you know, edited them a little bit. Um, but they were pretty m- close to what they had been. You know, yeah. I didn't do too much to them at all. Reprinted them and um, shown them at like a, at a coffee shop um, at this little kind of school, you know, just kind of little kind of event. And but that made me I just, that just made the light bulb click mm-hmm. that okay this is what I want to do because I kind of I printed them and I put them on these um, flags and I ma- ma- used fabric and kind of married what I was doing with costume with what I had had been doing with photography mm-hmm. so I kind of created this installation I didn't I didn't even know what installation was or right. that it was a thing or anything um, but something clicked with that moment and then um, but not all not enough for me to take a leap into it full-time yet so then again so i'm still in academia not only do i finish the um african-american studies and may then i go and do a phd because i'm thinking okay i'll be a costume historian visual culture kind of visual culture you know look at you know black visual culture black history of the body you know um and and just kind of that whole um umbrella of things and i'll do art on the side you know i'll i'll still i'll i'll bring back my photography but Maybe maybe I'll make a photo book one day, like a you know. Um, yeah. Well, it seems like the creative side of things was always tied into your interests of narrative, or like yeah. of who you are, or, or what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's center stage with the spotlight, or whether it's you know you're doing something else and it's something that you want to do on the side, it seems like something that was always there. It was always that compelled there. you. Yeah. Absolutely, there's there was no getting away from it. Yeah. yeah. So. 
Yeah, so that then my next goal is like, okay, I'll be this kind of scholar artist hybrid. Right. You know, I'll I'll make make my career that way. Um, and again, still, I didn't. I just didn't really have the concept of that you could mm-hmm. do full time. You know, do art full time. And then I then I started to kind of go to art galleries, go to museums, go to contemporary art museums for Uh-oh. for work. Uh-oh. Yeah, <laughs> for 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 my research and yeah. things like that. And then I was like, wait, if these people are doing it, right. and this is really what I want to do, I really want to be making art full time. These people are the same age as me. Kind of, there's no, re- you know, I just. Then I had no reason anymore. I had no more excuse. I had no nothing to tell me that that wasn't something that I could do. Yeah, you're seeing hundreds of I'm people. I'm seeing who are doing people. It. Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing people who are doing. It. I'm interviewing people who are doing it for my dissertation, and I'm suddenly, um, kind of now it's the middle of my PhD process. I'm I just finished my comp exams, and I'm like, okay, well, should I quit? Do I leave? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do I leave my program? Do I try to find an MFA program? Do I just not do the MFA program? Do I just kind of continue what do I do so I decided um to continue with the PhD provided that I would do (laughs) the wild um you know venture of doing MFA right after (laughs) because I wanted that time (laughs) I decided and it's not for everybody but I decided that I wanted that time to because I had had so much um so many years of of art being on the side art being kind of this tangential marginal thing in my life I wanted that incubator of two years where I am just full time. I wake up every day and what I do is art. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm now I'm past my comp exams. I'm ABD. I'm teaching a class on, you know, fashion, fashion market. And as it relates to culture and society, I think right. it was called society and culture of fashion or something like that. I'm teaching undergrad classes. I'm writing my dissertation. Um, and speaking of music, I, that's how I met George Clinton, what? by the way. Yeah. Who's, <laughs> who actually uh, lives in the same area in North Florida where my family is. So I got oh, a chance really? to interview him for the dissertation. So that's also changing the way I'm thinking about things. Um, oh, that's a good interviewee. Oh, yeah. he's he's um, he's wonderful. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, super smart. Yeah. Super smart. Super. T- I mean, we all know he's super talented, but he's so thoughtful. I mean, everything that they did was it's just pragmatic. I mean, you know, really, um, I mean, there was a lot of magic and spontaneity, but spontaneity, but they also, I mean, they were so deliberate too, right. you know? So anyway, that was a little sidebar, but, um, so I'm doing that. I'm working on my dissertation. I'm, you know, trying to get back to art. So yeah. I used that last two years of writing my dissertation and teaching to really build my portfolio to get into art school. Um, and so from there I did, um, art school and that was, you know, that's when it was full speed ahead. Just the, just the freedom to, every day feel like an artist like just wake up and my agenda for that day was making work um and did you enjoy that focus of studio practice i did i did um and again i mean that's not something that's you know a lot of people um don't think that i I definitely don't think that the mfa is the one is not for everyone it's not for well not only that but it's definitely not the one route to becoming an artist at oh, yeah, all, at all, you know. But for me, it was just again that way to have that time yeah. when it, you know to center. Boy, you were in school practice. for a while, though. I had been in school for so long. I'm <laughs> never, I'm never going back to school again. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so ready to be done. But again, but the MFA program is a completely different beast. It's, it, it's school, but it feels so different yeah, than definitely. anything else. But I was in school for a yeah long, a long time, long time. Yeah. So um, yeah. Well, you said you got some scholarships. Did you? Um, I thought you said you had a scholarship to one of your schools. Well, I did an undergrad, and then uh, that helps. That helps, and then my you know the PhD is funded and all that. Yeah. So what's well, yeah. harder? The, I feel like these days it's harder to go to school for a long time because it's it just is so expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah. Thankfully, at, for the program that I was in NYU, which is where I did the yeah. PhD, they had the best stipend the funding funding was the better the better of and then teaching was extra you know and again that's part of why i stayed in that program building my portfolio because i was getting paid to teach i was getting paid for my stipend the degree was free so i was you know at that time in my life like it was um fundable so it was a way for me to kind of experiment while also kind of getting funded to do the other thing yeah you found a way to make it work in your city doing all that because there's a lot of people who come here and just can't find a way to, it's not an easy place it's not an easy place to make it work it is not an easy place yeah no not that's by any stretch. no small thing no it's not not an easy place by any stretch but there is also something about new york that is so um 
motivating too oh, yeah. you know yeah. because everyone is hustling and trying to right. trying to do it because i spend a lot of time in the south now um making a lot of my video and the soundscapes and even some of the sculpture so it's like culture shock going like i feel right. like i'm going you know either when i'm going into florida or um it's like entering into another atmosphere like <laughs> being a, yeah. you know and it's completely different when you get off that plane in new york i mean you it's the pace. that's why people come here you yeah, feel it it's, yeah. it's hustle you know so it's um, do you bring that back now when you go home? That no, I let it go. I you keep, do. I, I let, let it stay here. Oh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's <laughs> I let it stay here. Like you, you can slow down. I can slow down. Some yeah, some people just can't do it. No, but I do. But I do have an agenda when I go home too. I mean, a lot of times I am there to work. Right. But I kind of do all the structure stuff in New York before I get there. Right. So I kind of figure out the plan, and then I kind of let things. Um, I, I figure out a skeleton. Yeah. And then I let things free flow within that skeleton once i'm home but you know it's it's really hard to to keep the new york thing going when i'm humble humbled at home by like you know me telling my grandma like oh yeah you know she, she's like what are you doing i'm like oh well, i have a you know sculpture big sculpture at storm king or something oh that's nice baby what what is called now storm what <laughs> right you know or whatever yeah, yeah. so i mean it's really hard to keep that like new york yeah, kind of yeah. like it doesn't really yeah, work outside of that no, world no 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 it doesn't. you could be doing great <laughs> and other people are like well you know <laughs> Yeah, what's exactly. that yeah did you see the football game yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um um yeah which is which is great too because all that is part of me you know yeah. what i do my career is just one part of me you right. know so when i'm home i get to experience all the other parts well when you were well since you've been in new york have you been seeing more live music is that something you like to do or do you have no time for that um you know i try to make time for it you yeah. know i haven't gone in, in a while I there's guess that's so a nice much re- that's a nice reminder i should find right? something yeah i'm um, constantly saying to myself I, I have that app called bands in town oh okay where it just lists and i'm like oh i should go see that i should go see, but it's yeah. hard to do it you know? it can be yeah you yeah i think i actually will find something to go to but yeah I've, when i got here when i was um doing my ma i went to the shrine a lot um mm-hmm. shrine in yeah. harlem um I'm a huge Valerie June fan, and um, so I've been to a bunch of her um, concerts that I she's don't know done. Who that is. Oh, she's this amazing singer, and she actually happens to little known fact happens to be from the same little small cluster of towns where my mom's side of the family is oh, from really? in Tennessee, which is like pigs flying to like find someone who even knows yeah. the names of the little towns. I mean, there's not even one big city; it's just kind of out there. So we just kind of it's kind of just an area in Gibson County, Carroll County. So, um, she's singer songwriter, singer songwriter, um, country, um, little blues, rock and roll, um, as well, but she's fantastic. Um, and I think, um, maybe she's recently, I don't know if she lives here. I think she might. So once she started touring around here a lot, so I would Mm -hmm. go to her concerts and then through that, I found out she's from the same place we're from, which is super small world, (laughs) super small world. Um, so yeah. So how did you get, like, I guess you, you got your MFA, mm-hmm. and how did you get kind of into the process of showing your work and connecting mm-hmm. with people on that level? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think a lot of it just came from that time period of being in the MFA program and just, again, kind of being so immersed mm-hmm. um, and just visiting art spaces more and just being able to have the time and the the space to really connect with a lot of people in the arts community and really viewing it as a community, you know, not just as a market or just as this, you know, quote unquote art world, but as a community. And you really get to, you know, when you spend time with other artists and spend time with, um, you know, just really getting to know the people out there, you know, um, Issa Rae, who I'm also a fan of, had this this really interesting thing that she said that a lot of people have this idea of like networking and they're trying to network upward. And she said, no, you should be networking across, you know, which I think is a really way, a good way to kind of, um, a a kind of a good kind of soundbite way of, you know, um, expressing kind of what I was experiencing back in, in school. It's just kind of making a community and getting to know people and, um, appreciating each other's interests, yeah. whether that's fellow artist or a curator, and just really getting—I mean, that's my approach to the whole thing—is just really getting to know what um, makes people tick and what what they're fascinated about. I mean, talking to someone about what really interests them, like that mm-hmm. quirky thing that they just can't stop thinking about—I yeah. think that's so—it's um, just so interesting and exciting. So, to me, when I approach it that way, mm-hmm. you know, not to sound too like Pollyanna, but that's how a lot of stuff 
come yeah, you know definitely. has come you know more so than trying to you know meet this right person or whatever it's just showing a genuine interest and sharing your interests and right. then that's how excitement happens that's when the wheels start turning and to me that's when the magic part yeah, kind of yeah. starts to happen when you start like triangulating yeah liked uh you mm-hmm. know sensibilities or just when you find other people who are into what you're into mm-hmm. and it's just yeah i think the people when you try to network upwards you know you just bump that ceiling's pretty low and you bump it and it's not that great of a ceiling so yeah. it's better to kind of like like you're saying network out yeah and it just doesn't feel as good you know it's right. really, i mean to be and maybe because i had had so many years of being or feeling like art was kind of to the side mm-hmm. once i got to the point where i could really you know immerse myself i just was so happy to like be doing yeah. this so i was just i was just excited to talk to everybody you know i was yeah. just i wasn't even thinking about all that i was just thinking about oh my gosh really what you know oh wow so you do this and uh, what's that about where that you know kind of just really asking people questions and just kind of getting excited about what they're doing what they have going on yeah when you're like totally into something mm-hmm. and you feel like it's kind of fringe or something and then you meet other people who are really into it too that's exciting yeah it's a whole new world yeah um so i think things came that way like just through that kind of um energy and excitement. Yeah. yeah um but but the program that i was in i went to um columbia's visual art and mfa and they did bring a lot of people around for visits and things like that so i did get to know people that way yeah but but at the same token i mean just kind of um through those really great conversations those are the ones that stuck and then you, you know a couple years later maybe someone has is doing a show and they thought about that conversation that, mm-hmm. that you had oh well maybe you know we were talking about this topic and this you know so that's kind of how um different things have come about yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let's talk about your work. Like ne- mm-hmm. your work now. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's so much materiality in it. One mm-hmm. thing I was curious about is like your materials. Like, where are you getting? You know, like mm-hmm. how do you navigate the materiality of your work with the location of where you are? And mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think your work, the materiality of your work, talks a lot about what seems to be history, that like, mm-hmm. a narrative history, and mm-hmm. you know, other relationships outside of just being in the middle of New York City. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I try to bring that history into the present, you know, because there is this idea of the South as past, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really trying to speak toward a contemporary experience of the South. But but the South is a place where you cannot get away from the history. Once you, you know, once you're there, it's in the, it's just there it's in the ether you it's mm-hmm. the trees the you know everything the old structures the old architecture i mean it's just there too so it's this um it kind of feels like this continuum and to do that i do have to bring in the materiality that i that i know you know and again yeah. talking about that specificity i just try to drill down and really get specific about those things and signifiers and aesthetics that i know and that not only that i know but ha- that that have some kind of importance or meaning or that can help that narrative along that can help mm-hmm. tell tell a story because what i'm trying to do is to really think about landscape as as center as not this background backdrop kind of thing in our lives but what if we put land front and center about the way that we think about um history and the present um because landscape was such a huge part of the development of this country, obviously, yeah. and 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 the narratives, you know, the narratives and the way that, um, I mean, even the way that you know something like American slavery was justified. I mean, we know that okay, you know, pseudoscience or religion or all these kind of things that were brought in to kind of um, make it make that institution of slavery like palatable or make it make sense in these warped ways. Yeah. But even landscape, I mean, there's this idea that if you brought a population over from the same type of climate, if you brought people over from sub-Saharan Africa and then put them in the subtropical climate of the American South, that um, it's fine. Like, you know, right. they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're not really away from, we didn't really kidnap them. Like they're, yeah. it's the same. They know how to work land like this. So even, you know, even land was, has always been at the center We've just not always seen it that way in our contemporary kind of um, way of looking back. So it's been kind of pushed. It's been pushed kind of to the side, and yeah. I'm in my work. It try, I'm trying to recenter it and show how it's really a huge part of of our world and yeah. our lives, and it's a huge part of how we we just are have gotten to the point places that we that we are now. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's if if not the most urgent mm-hmm. in a way right. thing is the environment because mm-hmm. it affects and will affect every human. Absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just such a big thing that we constantly are turning a blind eye mm-hmm. towards. Absolutely. In, in so many different iterations. Like you're talking about when it gets more specific to, you know, social issues and like the history of, 
migration, all this, mm-hmm. all this stuff. But then also the bigger picture of like, oh, the water right. rising, and actually, you know yeah. that that doesn't care about humans at all, you know, and absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's a big, it's huge, and yeah, it's you're absolutely right. It's a marriage of the two because on one hand, nature is what it is. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know who you are you know it's nature is indifferent in that way however the way that we have ordered and structured our social world according to nature or with nature that's not all the same so when you have sea levels rising well you get climate gentrification Mm -hmm. you know and you when you have um these major natural disasters that are um increasing um with intensity i mean when i was growing up in florida a category four hurricane was rare once and rare i mean it was like oh my gosh it's a category four and now every year i feel like i'm seeing fours and fives you know so um oh but don't worry that's just all right right that's uh you know it's just yeah coincidence it's it's, it's not caused by anything right (laughs) exactly (laughs) but when that happens right when those when the intensity happens and the frequency and the and the intensity of um these storms increase Who's most vulnerable to them? You know, yeah. who who are the ones that are um, on the wrong side of the, that levee, or or on the um, the the who have been given the land and the um, pushed to the uh, fringes of whatever um, city? I mean, you you see these same patterns where right. um, are you're, who's placed in the most vulnerable um, physical uh, land in, ter- in terms of a city grid? You know, and so um, then it becomes something that's not just you know nature is indifferent to us nature's indifferent to us but the way that we've um structured ourselves means that it's not going to affect us all the same right so my work kind of does both and it's interested in both um well how do you feel that's a really interesting concept (laughs) and i think that's why i'm drawn to your work how do you feel or think about i've been listening a lot lately about this idea of um sort of like information evolution to (laughs) where people you know there's a singularity and the idea that we're eventually the body will become obsolete and (laughs) information will yeah do you know what i mean be prominent be like it it sounds kind of crazy but then you can we're all walking around with phones so we're all kind of cyborgs anyways and that knows everything about us and knows more than we know and Mm -hmm. it's almost more important a way to a lot of aspects of life Mm -hmm. than the body is or something right so how do you feel about that kind of higher because i believe too that that hierarchy will exist with like money and status and social but without the kind of Maybe without the identity side of it, but more of like just who can afford to, right. you know, be in a certain position on this grid. Mm-hmm. Isn't that, do you ever? Th- I mean, I guess we'll see, won't we? <laughs> but, you know, you do see some of that happening now. I mean, you know, I just was reading an article about, um, you know, like some rural towns and and uh, and the way that Wi-Fi is like not, you know, they're having trouble running. Like where my grandma lives, where our farm is, I mean, we don't even get cable mm-hmm. out there. They won't even run cable out there. So, you know, a lot of, and that impact, you know, things like that impact education, like who, you know, everyone doesn't really just have the ability to just go on the internet. You know, right. there's this idea that it's just so ubiquitous, but like, you know what, you know, everyone just doesn't have it on their phone or just doesn't have the ability to just um, kind of, you know, the more rural you get, you can't necessarily just hop on facebook and get the news or get you know you can't really yeah. do that everywhere that's so double-sided me yeah part of me feels like that's actually a good yeah <laughs> really we were better off before. right yeah i keep having that feeling lately about you know how if you spend your life doing something creative mm-hmm. you're seen by a lot of people who in certain aspects of society is like oh you're just kind of like this fringe person who's just doing something wacky yeah. oh you can make a living doing that or right. whatever of course and then you have all these engineers, or even if you look at universities, like engineers, mm-hmm. people who are doing those kind of studies get the funding, mm-hmm. and like development, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But that is kind of what's destroying the world, right? In a way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thing, yes, yeah. it can make the average lifespan a little longer for mm-hmm. most people with medicine or something. Mm-hmm. But isn't that really kind of harming our environment by the constant building and progress and progress oh, and for progress? Sure. And yeah. creative people are not really... Mm-hmm contributing right. to that quite as much i would yeah. imagine yeah i don't know it's just something that's been on my mind lately oh, that's about, interesting yeah like sure. maybe if everyone were off a grid mm-hmm. this world would be <laughs> a little better a little better or maybe not so quickly heading into like this environmental or yeah is that i guess that's kind of pessimistic or kind of depressing well i don't know <laughs> 
and it's, getting, it's getting wilder about. and wilder out there every day so what's the speed too i yeah. think that's the thing oh, is sure. the speed of information the speed of how things are changing mm-hmm. but yes you're you it is true that people who are left off of that path or you know it's like if you talk about education right. and having you don't have those resources mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't necessarily want to join the grid or right. get, you know, into that. You don't even have the option. You right? don't have the option you're going to get left behind because every, every the way society exists is right. everyone kind of like mm-hmm. gloms onto the new way of being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, but in your work, <laughs> bringing it back to your work, um, it seems like the other part of it that's really interesting to me too is this kind of freedom to work within different kind of spaces, different mm-hmm. media do you work kind of like project based or or you always have ideas of certain things and you just make it happen? How does your process work as far as what you're working on just in your own work and then the opportunity to sort of share that and how that can frame certain things? Because like I said to you, you know, the Storm King piece was really like, I really love that. And, you you know, that's specific. It's a very specific opportunity for a specific landscape. So, How's your process work within that? Within that, yeah, a little bit of both. Um, I have things that I'm always working on. I have things that I'm always kind of building, or you know, that's kind of awaiting, you know, yeah. <laughs> some some place to show it, or some kind of um, moment where I feel like it's finished. Um, right. And then there are times that I'll get invited to do a specific project, so I kind of am working both ways simultaneously all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, for example, I, I collect a lot of materials. Um, going back to the idea of materiality, I collect a lot of things that I just, I don't know what it's going to be or how it's going to work, but the I know I use this thing. Way. For example, um, fencing masks. You yeah. know, I, those are kind of, um, or not kind of, they are a prominent theme in the work or, um, you know, different types of um things of a different uh a certain color or things mm-hmm. like that like i i'm always have have an eye out for certain things or there's things i'm always kind of um building the tambourines i'm I, you know have um these metal tambourines that i hand make and weld so you know on occasion i'm just go make some some more of those so i have those kind of things that are repetitive or when i go down south and shoot um i'll come up here and i'll edit those things or whether it's video or sound or photo um but then maybe someone will come along and i'll get invited to do a very specific thing like the mass mocha show or storm king and then then at that moment it's kind of i think about um you know conceptually like what am i what am i really thinking about right now within this kind of broad narrative thinking about land thinking about storytelling through land and thinking about these intersections of climate and environmental justice and human life um and history um so within that you know what is what feels most pressing to me right now what feels right to focus on um so at that moment then maybe some of the things i've been kind of working on maybe some of those things will end up or bits and pieces of those things will end up in as part of that project or maybe i'll just completely create something brand new for that project um that storm king would be an example of that it was completely brand new um mass mocha my current solo exhibition there um that's a hybrid of both because yeah. I had certain things that were made for that show for that um, purpose and then I had other things that I had kind of continuously been working on that really fit in to the um, concept that I decided to explore for that so mm-hmm. it's really kind of a, a hybrid yeah yeah are you always taking photos just in general no no it's, I'm not it's specific to it's a it's, place or, or an idea that you have yeah it's specific to a place and an idea um, i'm not one of those photographers that kind of always has a camera on me mm-hmm. um which i think is also a fascinating way to work but it's just not my way of working right. i'm really deliberate and and i make um choices ahead of time about the place yeah because usually i'm starting with a conceptual idea yeah and like a, that skeleton and then within that all of the spontaneity and the magic can happen within whatever bit of structure I've or whatever container I've set for myself because otherwise I'll just shoot forever you know um so I usually kind of have somewhat of yeah a container I'll call it yeah um and that might be you know time you know I'm gonna go go down for a month and you know um shoot or maybe it'll be an idea I'm gonna shoot these types of things or yeah so I kind of I kind of can regimen it that way but I don't do it so much so that um that n- that nothing kind of new or fresh or unexpected can happen. Right. And plus, I work with my family and friends a lot, so I also have to work within other people's schedules and mm-hmm. things like that. So sometimes, if I'm just making landscape work, I can go out and do whatever. 
I want, but if I'm involving my family members and, you know, costumes and masks and the more theatrical it becomes, you know, there's more planning that goes into that. And so then it becomes a little bit more um, thinking about it ahead of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you're working in here in the studio, are you... A silence, a music, a podcast, an oh, audio depends. book. It's Good all over. question. All over. So if I'm doing something really rote, like something really like yeah. I have to, you know, sew a million little sequins mm-hmm. onto this little thing or I have to glue however many little shells or little stuff on the thing. If something that's kind of like that, then I'll listen to podcast or I'll listen to audiobook or something to kind of, I don't know, something that can kind of, you know, while my hands are kind of doing this kind of routine kind of you know labor then i'm i guess i'm more in the mood to kind of listen to a conversation or a book or something like that um if i am painting something building something uh something that is more spontaneous expressive i have these marks that i make these kind of plus sign marks that i make i'll listen to music Mm -hmm. um for that and and that'll just depend on what I don't know, the mood of the, the work is doing at the time, you know, um, the mood of the the feeling of, of the work. It's, yeah, it is I do the same the, thing. Yeah. It's, just, it's a feel thing. Yeah, it's a feel thing, for sure. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah, so words and podcasts when I'm doing something kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When um, you can turn off When I can turn it off, yeah, yeah, just to kind of keep me going when I am doing something that's really labor-intensive for yeah. a long period of time. And then, yeah, if I'm doing something that's, uh, more my larger sculptures or something that you know I'm banging on something or cutting into wood or something like that that you know I'll, I'll play whatever music that I feel like I want to get into to do that yeah and what's the, is, is there some new stuff that you're into new stuff not really no I've been listening I listen to a lot of old stuff <laughs> yeah um you know well okay I guess the new stuff that I would say I've more the last couple of years gotten into like you know southern gothic or roots music so I'll listen mm-hmm. to stuff like whiskey shivers or something like that or um but I listen to a lot of um older music when I I would I did this um residency slash show at recess mm-hmm. and I had a friend of mine collaborate with me to create kind of a playlist mm-hmm. I had this little front porch installation and people could come by and sit and it was like we both grew up in the church not together he grew up in North Carolina and obviously I have roots in North Carolina but I grew up in Florida so but we had so much similar music yeah. you know so that was a fun project but I listened to a lot of that stuff if I'm if I'm doing a project that feels old or that I have to look at history like I'll listen to old like church music even though spiritual wise I don't necessarily have the same beliefs but in terms of my from a cultural kind of roots perspective it feels still feels kind of home like home base yeah those kind of old hymns and things like that um so I'll, I'll even listen to some of that if if i'm doing something that's really history intensive um i'll listen to a lot of george clinton um uh jimmy hendrix i'll listen to um drum and bass music like oh, um like, like sleigh bells or something like that sometimes i don't know them oh yeah they're really great remember ltj bookham no wait i okay so i, I listened i listened to him a lot we'll have to trade the music after this yeah, over yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah drum and bass is so good i love it well yeah. now on spotify you can hit these like D and B like you know jungle playlists they have everything on there cuts, like <laughs> yeah. stuff i've never heard before yeah, yeah and i'll do that too if i'm doing like administrative i try to do mondays usually are my days to do like let's say i'm working on a grant or mm-hmm. let's say you know i just have a whole bunch of emails to yeah. get due, or just kind of like maybe I need to do my taxes or like look at sales like that kind of administrative so i've tried to do that on mondays and i'll listen to just like a spotify playlist and that's maybe when i'll just kind of find out new music maybe yeah. through there and then i'll listen to um maybe more singer songwriter stuff things that have it's hard for me sometimes to listen to things that have vocals right because um, you gotta yeah it's, yeah but um so if i'm doing kind of desk work stuff mm-hmm. then i can kind of just put it on spotify radio or you know and just kind of listen to whatever they suggest yeah i have the i you know i don't miss the fact that growing up i didn't <laughs> ever go to church yeah like i just wasn't mm-hmm. we weren't in a religion I don't miss that necessarily, but I feel like I missed out on the whole like choir gospel. Yeah, thing. that's the whole of, aspect. Yeah, because when I was growing up, my dad listened to a lot of Motown, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's right the same thing. Yeah, and so I 
kind of unconsciously really got into like stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. then I kind of later, mm-hmm. whenever I started DJing in college, I went back in time. Mm-hmm. Like I had to go back through jazz, blues and all that stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't like a foundation for me. In right. A way. Yeah. So I, I don't have that, mm-hmm. you know, that choir kind of. Yeah. But and that's got to be. Motown. I mean, it's all it's kind of the same music. Yeah. Motown is just secular gospel, you know. Right. But yeah. So exactly. Like I don't I that's the part of it that I kept. Like I didn't really keep the religion part of it, but I kept the cultural part of it and the and that feeling right. part of it. Um, I love the secular sure. gospel. I mean, that's pretty much. I mean, the chord progressions. If you just, I mean, especially Aretha Franklin, who we just lost. I right. mean, that. I mean, it's the same. It's just the same thing, you know. And a lot of Motown people grew up in the church first, and they just brought. That's what what made them so at the time. Like a lot of them, so like, oh my gosh, this this new person, Aretha Franklin, yeah. Stevie Wonder. Have you heard them? Because it's like they were using that those same chords, chord progressions, rhythms, but they were talking about you know their lover or their you know spouse or or you know what happened on Friday night, but to the yeah. same routines that people were used to listening to in a religious context that's yeah. what made it so wild what about um, the uh because like, i always loved robert johnson and like skip james mm, and people mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. is that like the anti it's because it was so tied to like this lure of the devil and right yeah i don't even know i mean i i don't know because again, that there's such a spiritual. link too yeah there's such a link too yeah um i don't know maybe it's all just part of the same continuum you know yeah, it's part it's of the same like different yeah two sides of the side of the coin um right. could be could be yeah it has a power though that stuff oh yeah it does it does and i and and to the, to that point a lot of what i listen to the studio too is blues and that because it has the same feeling and the same the same musical tenor but also the same it's just it's just so familiar but emotion listen, yeah it. the same like, thing yeah. but yeah so i do listen to a lot of blues in the studio too um yeah it's a lot it's, of rock and roll right you know yeah, it depends on the vibe and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned Mass Mocha. Yeah. So there's that. And how long is that up till? It's up. It just got extended till March 2019. And it nice. opened March 2018. So it's on view for oh, a whole year. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then Storm King is up. Storm King until? is up until Well, they have weather November. related. Yeah. Right? They closed down. Yeah. Yeah. We're, that show um, is up until November 11, I believe. And my two performances there will be on October 14 and 27. Are those on a weekend? Yeah. Okay. They're both a Saturday and a Sunday. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm working with the Dream Unfinished, which is, speaking of music, this amazing activist orchestra. And so I'm working with six six of their musicians, plus um, another musician is working as the, he's going to be the conductor, or the kind of, um, yeah, I guess conductor. Um, and then six musicians who are going to play a rendition of Florida Storm, which is the hymn right, that inspired right. um, the Storm King project, um, uh, my project at Storm King. So there was this hymn called Florida Storm. It was written in 1928 in response to the Great Miami Hurricane mm-hmm. of 1926, um, and it was just completely devastated South Florida. And then in 1928, that same year that the song was written, um, what would come was the Okeechobee Hurricane, which um, is the backdrop to Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. But that storm, I mean, killed thousands and thousands of um, black migrant workers, mm-hmm. and they were buried just in these mass unmarked graves and um so you know the piece is really a reflection on how natural disasters become these become but also illuminate kind of these already existing social disasters and how communities are structured with um inequality and and environmental injustice so you know use that those two hurricanes were kind of the crux of it but i also you know thinking about katrina i'm thinking about the recent hurricane in in puerto rico i'm thinking about um the galveston hurricane of 1900 so the sea islands you know all these ways that these hurricanes are showing us um society's view of itself and of of people of color of marginalized folks of poor folks black folks um so yeah that's that's what it's about so the the orchestra is going to play a rendition of that song um uh florida storm and what a place to do it too. Right? Yeah, yeah. In the That's middle of that, nice. yeah. Um, I was, um, you know, I really when I was invited to do um, to participate in the show and to make a piece, I I told them I really wanted to um, to position the sculpture in the middle of the, that pond. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, we're gonna kind of have them positioned around the pond and I think it'll be a really beautiful um, visual experience, but it's gonna be kind of a, a memorial for those lives lost because they really only in recent years just got kind of like a marker. Um, of, there's a couple of um, sites. One is near West Palm Beach and one is I think a little bit more cent- central um, Florida, but they only just pretty recently got like a little dank plaque or something that says, you know, these people were buried here. So I'm gonna kind of try to do it as a memorial, but also like this almost like this kind of calling like what are we gonna like what are we doing you know uh, <laughs> kind of yeah. thing so it's gonna have that sp- kind of dual spirit of um of memorialization and also questioning so we're kind of creating a soundscape and it'll be kind of ongoing and they'll do different renditions or different kind of hopefully we'll move a little bit into blues move a little bit to experimental and kind of use that um him as a riff and kind of going forward yeah. right well, for people who are listening who aren't in New York or yeah. maybe in London or right. Australia or whatever, will you be filming it? That's the plan. Okay. Yeah, that's the plan. That right? would be nice yeah. for people who can't get there to yeah, see it. Yeah, exactly. Not the same, of course. but Right, but at least to... Yeah, yeah. some people can't get to yeah. King. But I have to shout them out again that the Dream Unfinished, they're, they're okay. incredible. They've been wonderful to work with. How'd you hook up with them? I just found them. I was just like, I just was really looking for musicians to work with, a collective of yeah. musicians that had that um, same mission or arm or mentality of kind of looking at social justice kind of issues through sound. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was lucky to come across them and they were super receptive and yeah, they've been wonderful to work nice. with. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And then any other ways that people can follow your work and check out what you yeah, do? Yeah, sure. Um, I, online, I'm on Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, all, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, through my website, I have a little sign up for my newsletter and I put out little newsletters, maybe not not super often, a few times a year, mm-hmm. um, kind of update folks on shows and what's going on. But yeah, cool. that's probably the best way. Well, uh, like I said before, I'm a huge fan. Thank you. And it was really nice to come meet you and talk to you today. So nice to meet you. Thanks for for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Sound and Vision. It's recorded, edited, and produced by myself. And you can find out more information about Sound and Vision at the website soundandvisionpodcast.com there's photos on there you can donate to the podcast you can get a tote bag there's only a couple left but you might be able to snag one on there and please leave a review and a rating on itunes it really helps the podcast thanks to michael lovett for the intro and lala tone for the uh, intro outro music again thank you so much for your support